That's a um, great scene, by the way, from first night, the movie. Sir Lancelot and King Arthur. Really illustrating this whole concept that maybe a term that maybe you've heard, maybe you've heard many times in your life, but maybe you did, maybe you didn't quite understand the whole context of it. I hope to be able to show you that today from the Bible, because that's where the concept originated. Sometimes it gets a little, um, I think, perverted in terms of what it is. So what we're going to see, we're talking through our series, Jesus, the real Jesus, and and who he was, and and what he did, and so forth. And and certainly Jesus, the CEO, which is the title of what what I've called this little uh, talk this morning, uh, he epitomizes, the Lord does, what exactly leadership is. And uh, in such a great way. And the whole concept of servant leadership began with Jesus. And I want to show you that in a couple of minutes. But first, I want to, I want to begin by kind of getting your thoughts in, the, in that process. I'm going to quote from some, um, some different things. This particular first thing I'm going to come from or quote from is from uh, uh, a website. This will be on the, my notes later on. They'll be on the website some of this also will be on Afterthoughts, which we, I usually get in uh, this evening sometime. Uh, if you don't know what that is, that's on our website, and just check it out, and it'll be self-explanatory. But uh, let me begin by just quoting from this first thing, and we'll, we'll talk about it. First thing is this. Servant leaders, let's show that. Servant leaders may or may not, um, we have that somewhere? I want, I want you to follow along with me when, when we read this, right? Servant leaders may or may not hold formal leadership positions. Servant leaders, we'll have it for you in just a moment. Servant leadership encourages collaboration, trust, foresight, listening, and the ethical use of power and empowerment. Okay? Um, What I want to get at here is this. There you have it. May or may not be formal. Whenever, my biggest fear, really, or not my biggest, but one of my biggest fears in, in, in delivering this would be that certainly there'll be a number of people here who are leaders in their companies and business and their communities, and you'll be fine, and you'll say, yeah, this is really good, and I want to hear this. But there are others of you here who, who might say, I think erroneously, but who might say, I don't really lead anything. You know, I'm, I'm a housewife. I'm a mother. <laughs> You're a big-time leader if that's the case. Let me just say that. And I don't want, I don't, I don't want anyone thinking this doesn't, this doesn't apply to me. Well, I, I think those of us, those here who are moms and, and, and housewives and so forth probably understand that. But there are other people, too. I don't really do this. You know, every one of us, whatever our position in life, whether we're in the, uh, the lead of a company, whether we're in middle management, whether we're at home, whether we're in service work, whatever it happens to be, we have to be, at times, leaders. And maybe just, it may be something very simple. It may be something very big. It doesn't make one more important or less important than the other. Let me show you some more from this quote. The difference, the difference manifests itself in the care taken by the servant leader. First, to make sure that other people's highest priority needs are being served. Now watch this. The best test and difficult to administer is, do those served grow as persons? Do they, while becoming served or while being served, become healthier Wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely themselves to become servants. And what is the effect on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit, or at least will they not be further deprived? Um, that's from the Center for, for uh, Servant Leadership. I'll have the website uh, on my notes later. Um, as I said, 
I think that says it all right there. This is for all of us in many, many different areas of life. Don't disqualify yourself. Um, there's a quote I want to show you in just a moment from uh, the uh, CEO of Best Buy, uh, the uh, electronics store, that I think also kind of epitomizes what we're talking about here. Let me show this to you. Uh, at the fundamental level, at the core, servant leadership is seeing whatever your job, whatever your title is, that you're actually in service to the people you lead. This is good. That the real measurement of whether you're effective is if you helped increase the energy of the people who you're engaging with and leading. If you've done that, if the energy level is higher than it was when you started, then you're probably evidencing some servant leadership. We get the idea sometimes that, you know, leadership is, you know, just do this, do this, don't do it, just barking out orders like the proverbial drill sergeant or whatever. Or the, we often think of it in terms of the military and, you know, there's the, there's the head of the group or whatever. But servant leadership is so much more. Speaking of the military, there's a great little spot that I, we used to, when we lived in the D.C. area, we actually lived in northern Virginia, which is just deep in, 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 in history and, and particularly the Civil War, which I have just uh, enjoyed reading and studying about so much. And in Virginia, throughout the whole state, they have these little, a lot of states have this, but in Virginia they have a ton of these little roadside markers that just tell you what happened here, you know, in 1861 or 1862. And I love those things. And I think I'm probably, uh, and you can't really read them when you're driving by them, especially the way I drive. And so what you have to do is you, you really got to kind of, very few people caught that, you know. And uh, uh, you got to pull over, really. And I would, I'm probably the only guy in the world that would pull over and read these things and to the point of, at times, and this is very hard to do, at times even testing Charlene's patience. You know, one time I, it was dark and they had three or four of them and it was like midnight and I had to turn the bright lights on bright and she's like, can we go home? And I'm like, no, 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 I want to read this. Uh, fascinating stuff. But there's one in particular outside of Middleburg, Virginia that just really, I went back to a couple of times and just to get the feel of the lay of the land because of what it represented to me. And it was about Stonewall Jackson, great general in the Civil War at that time, second in command only only to, to Robert E. Lee. And, uh, and it happened at the Second Battle of Manassas. There were two battles of Manassas. Manassas, also known as the Battle of Bull Run, um, which was the creek. Manassas was the town. Union would go by, would, would call it the, by the town, the, the Confederate. I think that's the way it was. The Confederacy would, would call it by the creek, call the battle by the creek. But so that first Battle of Bull Run or Manassas, of course, it was the beginning of the Civil War. But less than a year later, there was a second battle there. And for that second battle, Stonewall Jackson, who had several thousand troops, had to bring all of them from somewhere down in southern Virginia, almost in Tennessee. And for the battle that was going to take place the next day, he had to literally march his, and he was known for this because his men loved him so much, he had to march his troops all night long to get to within about 10 miles of the battlefield of Manassas. And this, this historical marker has a spot where it says, this is where they came from wherever they were coming from in southern Virginia, and this is where they stopped, and, they had, and it was like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning after marching all night. Stonewall, and, and, the, and I'm going to not read, I don't have the exact wording, but what happened was as they were setting up bivouac camp, Stonewall Jackson was there, and he asked one of his, one of his, uh, one of his aides, are the sentinels set? Are the guards set? And the guy said to him, Sir, everyone is asleep. They just collapsed. What do you think, what do you think General Stonewall Jackson did? He said, Tonight, I'll take guard duty. I love that. 
And I would, I, and I would go back two or three times. I, I wanted to read that sign, and I would just look at the, at the lay of the land, and, and I can just you know, kind of picture in my mind Stonewall Jackson on his horse just kind of walking around several thousand troops watching over them. That's the job of a private. And this is the general, second in command of the Confederate Army, saying, I'll take charge. I'll, I'll watch guard. I'll, I'll take care of the guard. That's leadership. I love it. No, nothing's below him because he's a leader. How many, how many of you guys, ladies, men, that are, that are supervisors, maybe have said, you know what, maybe I'll, I'll go clean the bathroom. That would be something equivalent to that. I'll, I'll, I'll clean up. You guys take off. See, that's leadership. That's what we're talking about here. That began with Jesus. Let me show you one more. This is kind of a, one more illustration from business. It comes from, uh, Steve found this for me on the web, Fast Company Magazine. This was published in, in 01, 2001. Um, about a guy by the name of Andy Pearson, who, for, uh, who 20 years ago was CEO of PepsiCo and was, uh, was called. Let me just show you this. I got some of this for you. Uh, just kind of follow along with me. I got it right here for you. Just go ahead. 20 years ago, as CEO of PepsiCo, Andy Pearson was named one of the 10 toughest bosses in America. Now at Tricon, uh, Tricon is uh, Taco Bell, KFC, and, and Pizza Hut. Not a big deal around here, but help me. Let me, let me, let me help you with this. Around, around the rest of the country, those are pretty good, pretty good places. At least uh, people go to them, let me put it that way. Uh, they're pretty good places business-wise. I'm not saying I'd, I, of course, have been educated to a far greater level of sophistication. But anyway, um, <laughs> but I have spent some time in, in, in all those places in my life, let me just tell you. Confession time. Uh, he, was found, he, he has found a new way to lead, according to this article, one based on personal humility and employee recognition. Pearson saw how the human heart drives a company's success, one person at a time, and how this kind of success can't be imposed from the top, but must be kindled through attention, awareness, recognition, and reward. The logic was clear. Keep reading this. The logic was clear. If the need for recognition and approval is a fundamental human drive, then the willingness to give it, to give it is not a sign of weakness. It's a lesson that has changed Pearson's own definition of leadership. Great leaders find a balance between getting results and how they get them, he says. That's, he goes on, he says, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that the great res- or getting results is all there is to the job. They go after results without building a team or without building an organization that has the capacity to change. Your real job is to get results and do it in a way that makes your organization a great place to work, a place where people enjoy coming to work, wouldn't that be cool, instead of just taking orders and hitting this month's numbers. Just stop there a minute. So he said there's, there's got to be a different way here after all these years in business as he's leading this, this new company. So now what happens when we, let me just interject this right here before I finish the story, because what happens when we talk about this, people say, well, I know where you're heading with this, that numbers aren't important as much as character. Well, that's true, but that's not going to wash in business. And you and I both know that. You can say, hey, uh, somebody, you know, the board, the board says the, the numbers aren't up, but you say, yeah, but man, I've, I've developed some great character. Well, that's great. <laughs> Maybe there's another place you can do that somewhere else, okay? Um, you know, that, that's not, those two things don't go together necessarily. So the numbers can't be ignored. Watch this last part. There's nothing wrong, there's not that there's anything wrong with hitting or exceeding your numbers. Under the leadership of Pearson and, and, the, and the other guy that I didn't talk about, Novak, 
Um, Tricon has increased its store-level margins from 11 to 15%, boosted operating profit by 32%, cut its debt in half to $2.5 billion. Tricon's leaders credit those numbers uh, directly to the new culture of employee recognition. All of this has made Tricon a $22 billion, not huge, but pretty darn good, a $22 billion retail operation with more than 30,000 restaurants. you have any idea there'd be $22 billion in tacos? You ever thought about that? My gosh. Anyway, and pizzas. Um, 725,000 employees worldwide. It opens a new restaurant somewhere around the world every 10 hours. Spun off of, Pexico, of, of a PepsiCo in 1997. Tricon's brands have worked their way into the fiber of people's lives. Not always a good thing if you want to take that the other way. But I, um, we won't go there now. Here's what I want you to see. Servant leadership works. Do I know it works because I've been the head of some Fortune 500 company? No, I know it works because that's what Jesus taught. Now, it's great to be able to see examples, and we have other examples, many. There's some here in this room. Uh, Examples of how this really does work. So let's just get right to it and show you what Jesus says, because really that's what's important. And uh, you say, where did this come from? How did, where, how did Jesus teach this? I'm not familiar with that. Let me show you how that, how that came. And I want to show you, first of all, in John 13, which has to do with a picture, that, that, that artist depiction that, that, that uh, Steve showed you earlier. John 13, beginning in verse 4. So he, Jesus, got up from the supper table, set aside his robe, set aside his robe and put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. Then he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. This is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. First time I read that, I'm like, okay, what's that all about? I was raised in an area where there, you're not going to believe this. Some of you won't. I was raised in an area where some of the churches in our neighborhood had foot washing services. Let me assure you of two things. Number one, I've never done that. Number two, that's not going to be something we do at Renaissance, okay? Very clearly, that's not going to happen. That's a deal killer right there for this guy, okay? Um, I don't even like shoes in my house, okay? And you don't wear shoes in my basement. Let me just tell you. The other day, I'm kind of weird. I got got, uh, that that whole whole germ. I'd be a good Japanese person because I don't like like germs, you know? And you you think of places shoes go. You ever been in a men's public restroom? I mean, they're just disgusting. And to think people walk in there and they walk in my house, I'm like, I don't need that, okay? The other day, I was sitting in in, in my basement, it's, it's, it's our house, it's my basement, okay? It's Charlie and I's house, it's my basement. And she had shoes on, she came out of my basement. And she's sitting on the couch just like she owns the place, and, 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 and she's got her feet up on the, on, on the ottoman, and I said, honey, um, you got shoes on. And she gave me that, that, only, that women, only women can do that disgusted roll of the eyes look, you know, at me like, I only wear these shoes in the house. I said, I'm sorry, Okay. Anyway, I'm kind of crazy. Is that, is that what we're talking about here? No. What, what, here, here's the deal. Here, here's the deal. With Jesus, and in that culture, it was similar. Because it was so dirty, it was very normal to go into a house, and the servant 
would wash your feet because the streets were dusty. And on the, obviously, they didn't understand germs in those days and in that culture and so forth. But, but it was just the customary thing to do for a servant to wash your feet, just to kind of be refreshing. I don't know. And if you've ever had a pedicure, I mean, it's pretty cool, actually. I, I, I hate to admit that publicly, but it's pretty cool. Um, and it just feels so good. And that's what they didn't do a pedicure, but they washed people's feet. And um, so when Jesus did this, it wasn't like, gee, nobody ever washes feet. It was like, there's a servant over here. What are you doing? You are the rabbi. You are the teacher. You are the master. And you're washing my feet. So what Jesus was doing was huge in impact. And for these guys in that culture and for his disciples, they're thinking, wow, this is the Lord. This is Jesus who's washing our feet. What's he t- He's showing us, listen, I want to serve you. That's the point here. You don't have to go have foot washing services. What you need to understand is it's the attitude of, I want, I want to be your servant. I want to help. I want to do what I can do. Even though I'm the leader, I can stand guard when everybody else is sleeping or whatever the situation might be. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate. That's called, and that's, what we, that's where we get servant leadership from. Now, let me show you one other passage from the Gospel of Mark. So Jesus called them together. Now, this is his disciples. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that in this world, kings are tyrants, and officials lord it over the people beneath them, but among you it should be quite different. You're to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, you're to serve others. That, that quote back from uh, the CEO uh, from uh, Best Buy, he says, the real measurement of what is whether you're effective is if you've increased the energy of people, if you've empowered them to do more and to be more than what they are. So, understanding the words of Jesus, let me just, I want to make three very simple conclusions here and, and just move from there, all right? And we'll, and, we'll, and we'll wrap it up. Three very same things. And the first one is very simple. I've already said it. I'm going to say it again. We're all called to lead, okay? We're all called to lead. Whatever our lot in life, wherever we are, if you're sitting there thinking, that's not me, I don't think you're thinking through things because there are many areas where you, where you have to take the lead. You may not be the head of a company. You may not be a supervisor in your particular situation, that doesn't mean you can't lead. Don't be fooled by the lack of position, the lack of organization or, or formalized structure or the lack of a title. You know, don't, don't be fooled by that. You can lead from the back. People do. Jesus was a classic example of how to do that. We're all called to lead whatever our place in life. Number two, there is a clear prevailing attitude that Jesus is teaching here. There is a clear prevailing attitude. And I want to talk about that for a moment. I, w- I want to go through some of these things, just very simple. And um, I want to go through a real quick little list of what servants, servant leaders are and what they are not. Again, these notes will be available later on on our website, so you don't feel like you have to take them all down now if you want them. What a servant leader is, or what they are, they're listeners. They're humble. They're submissive. Sometimes that's hard, but sometimes you have to submit. You have to, you have to be a follower, too. Uh, they're open to learn. They recognize their own weaknesses. They recognize their own strengths. 
Uh, they're tactful most of the time. They think of others. That's what a servant leader is. Now, what are they not? They're not self-absorbed. They're not dictatorial. They don't always have to be right. They're not, I'll do, you got to do it my way. They're not my way or the highway. They're not abrasive. That's, that's not what they are. Now, that doesn't mean when you have a servant leadership structure and you're desiring to be a servant leader, that doesn't mean there's no leader. I guarantee you, the night that Stonewall Jackson was watching guard over his troops, the job of a private, nobody doubted who was in charge. Nobody doubted who was the leader. But it probably even strengthened his leadership capacity in their eyes. Can you imagine waking up and seeing your general standing guard after everybody else is sleeping because they're so tired? It's not like he had a jet plane to sleep on on the way up, you know? doesn't mean there's no leader. It doesn't mean there's no one responsible. One of the things that really hit me kind of hard as I was studying all this, I'm, I'm just, just finished, um, almost finished, um, the Truman book. It's called Truman. It's by David McCullough, who also wrote Adams, and he's one of my favorite authors. And, and um, you know, the one thing that Truman, one of, well, Truman was a great president, by the way, and he, I've, I've decided, I'm registered independent, in case you're wondering, but I've decided I could easily be a Truman Democrat. And um, many things about Harry Truman I could talk about after reading this book, but one of the things, of course, is the thing that he was famous for, which is the buck stops here. And at that time in Washington, there was a whole lot of stuff, people blaming people for this. It was during World War II, and Truman's the one that said, I'm responsible. By the way, he was also a servant leader in many regards, and I won't go into all that now. But it doesn't mean when you're a servant leader that no one's responsible. There is someone responsible, clearly doesn't mean there won't be some tough decisions that you have to make. It doesn't mean that all management is done by committee, but you're a part of a team. And you need to understand that. So when we talk about that, it, there's an attitude here of humility, of gentleness, of selflessness. And so many times we equate leadership with the self-dominated, self-absorbed individuals. got to be this way. And sometimes you feel that way. But that's not the way one leads effectively. And by the way, let me throw this in. I may have said this already, and if I did, I'm I'm repeating myself. The other kind of leadership can work for a while. I'm not going to say that if you're not a servant leader, if you're the dictatorial, intimidating leader, I'm not going to tell you that doesn't work. It will work for a while. It's not long-term effective. It's not the most effective. But there are people, and you may know of one. Maybe you've been, been a part of an organization like that where there have been people who have led that way. And no, it drove the bottom line numbers. And it will do that for a while. For a while. You'll also run over a lot of people. There'll be a lot of bodies in your wake. And I think all of us know that's not the way God wants us to live. And that's not the way to treat people, no matter who you are. No matter who you are. So... Doesn't mean there's no leader, doesn't mean no one's responsible, doesn't mean there aren't, there aren't tough decisions, doesn't mean that, that management is always by committee. It's an attitude of humility, gentleness, and selflessness. There is, there is this, however, a spirit of compromise, you know, and this is, this is important, and I, I don't want to mention this real quick because I've already touched on this, but I want to say it again. There is never to be, there is never to be a spirit of compromised effectiveness because of this, or that weakness, or that, that you're some kind of a, a loser business person because you're a servant leader. And too many times I've seen people point to servant leaders who were ineffective in other ways. And they say, see, that's what a servant leader will do. He'll, he'll, he'll make your company go belly up, not if he's effective. 
not if he knows what he's doing. So don't equate those two. That's the clear prevailing attitude, just one of, of humility, one of, of listening, one of quiet strength. You know, that's, that's the prevailing attitude. Third thing, and this is, this is, this is the most important thing. Uh, I don't know if it's the most important thing, but it's one of the very important things here. This is how Jesus leads. This is how Jesus leads his people. You know, and this is so important, the real Jesus never used, uses intimidation, force, condemnation, guilt, or force to lead his people, neither should you. The real Jesus never leads in that way. The key to understanding the working of Christ, and I'm going to put it to you in terms that certainly I understand from my background as a child, young, young man, and, and hopefully it will relate to you. Jesus is a shepherd. He's not a cowboy. He doesn't punch the doggies. He leads the sheep. Now, and, and, and I, hope, I hope that gives you some degree. We all can picture in our mind what cowboys do and punching the doggies and you know, rounding them up and getting rough and doing what you've got to do. All right? Jesus doesn't lead that way. He's a shepherd. Gentle. The good shepherd, the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John. And to top all that off, that's the way Jesus works in our lives. He doesn't come in busting down the doors in and, and some forced intimidation, uh, guilt, con- condemning technique. He doesn't work that way in our lives. He works as that, as that still, small voice changing the outside from within. That's how God works in people's lives. That's how Jesus works in people's lives to this today as well, which is a shining example of what, of what servant leadership is. And, and I want to I close with that thought and, and get, just get you to think along those lines because what Jesus does and who Jesus is is so important in our lives. And so many times those of us, hopefully I haven't, but maybe I have, those of us in church have given the idea, you know, you better do this or else. And, and they use condemnation, they use guilt and intimidation and force. Jesus never worked that way, nor should his people. Some of you know what it means to have Christ work in your heart. Maybe it's, maybe it's a behavioral thing. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's a whole life change where you feel that, that inner voice speaking to you. Consider who Christ is. Give your life to Christ. As a result of that, your attitudes will change to be more Christ-honoring. That's how Christ works from the beginning to the end. So he's working with many of us here today because he loves us as his own children and accepts us where we are but still seeks to change us in that ever so gentle, quiet way that he works within the heart and the soul of an individual. Let's pray. Lord, we... um, are humbled, I'm humbled by, by who you are and how you have worked in my life over the years. Never in some huge, big, bombastic way, but those gentle promptings in my heart and my inner person and how you work like that in people's lives today. So Lord, I, I would ask for each of us that first of all, we would recognize who you are and how you came and 
and, and, and lived and suffered and died and rose again to give us eternal and abundant life and how you are at work in our lives even today. All of us in different places, certainly, in different places along this, this journey we call life, but nonetheless seeking to, to hear you. Father, along with that, I pray that each one of us, in our, own, in our own spheres of influence, wherever they are and whatever they are, you would teach us what it means to be servant leaders that are effective, that won't compromise the bottom line, but won't compromise people either to get to the bottom line. We pray that, Lord. It's a great challenge. We'll know that we can accomplish that outside of your grace and your work and your power. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.